you there, Shannon? ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN+. Plus. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas hanging out with you. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can always tweet to me and Harry at AmberW790, at HDouglas83. Harry loves when you're all up in his mentions and DMs. You can also join the conversation on the Canty call-in line at 888-SAY-ESPN. That is 888-729-3776. It is time to find out how the odds are being affected in the NBA playoffs. And for that, we turn to Aaron Dolan, ESPN Sports Betting Analyst. Aaron, what is your reaction so far to the series in the NBA playoffs? Has anything surprised you out there and surprised betters? Yes, there's been some crazy things. I feel like last night we had three great games. I mean, the Celtics going up two on Boston is absolutely huge. The 76ers in overtime. Joel Embiid with that three got us over points and rebounds. It was at 45 and a half that line. And I had said the over on this just in yesterday. And then with that three, we hit over. So that was perfect. And then the Bulls, they upset the Bucks with 10 and a half point dogs. So we've been seeing so many different things going on. Some things expected, some things not. For example, I'm a 76ers fan, but I thought the Raptors were absolutely going to give them a run for their money, but they're up three games. I also saw, thought that the Nets would be able to finally take one on the road before they head back home. That didn't happen. So it's been a really wild NBA series so far. A lot of injuries going on as well, which I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been fun for betters, that's for sure. If you're up well, money, I should say. <laughs> well, since you brought it up, let's go ahead and touch on the injuries now. How are those uh, injuries across the board impacting these series? Yeah, well, Devin Booker, for one, has definitely dropped the series price for the Suns to win. They were a heavy, heavy favorite over the Pelicans. They're now minus 260. I don't recommend betting into series prices right now, um, just given some of the injuries, like a Devin Booker who's now going to be out potentially two to three weeks. Uh, We're not really sure of his timeline of exactly when he could come back, as opposed to, let's say, with the Dallas Mavericks, we know Luka is going to come back for this series. He's not going to be out the entire series. We thought, you know, tonight would be the night we'd see him return. That's not looking likely right now. But I still think, considering the Mavs just took that that game too, there's still some value on the Mavs to win it, especially if Luka comes back. He's saying he feels good. The Utah Jazz are just shaky on offense and defense, in my opinion. They just never really live up to expectations as a team, especially in the postseason. So I think out of all the series right now, that's where you could find some value. But some of them are just too long of odds to be betting into. You mentioned Luca there, the Mavericks and Jazz game three tonight, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. And although he's feeling good, he's back to practicing. Seems like maybe they're going to be extra cautious with Luca here because that mm-hmm. series is split right now at one game apiece. Also tonight, Aaron, Grizzlies, Timberwolves, 7.30 p.m. tip off. Warriors, Nuggets, 10 p.m. tip off. Aaron Dolan, ESPN sports betting analyst on with us. So Aaron, out of the games tonight, which picks do you like? Okay, we'll get to some picks here. Don't kill me if they don't. You know cash, but we've been on a hot streak, so eventually we're going to go a little bit cold here. But here's some picks I'm liking. Donovan Mitchell over 42.5 points, rebounds, and assists. He's gone over this in both the playoff games so far. I just expect him having a big game again, especially if Luka Doncic is not in. They're back home. And I just think he'll be able to hit over this number. Steph Curry over three and a half made threes. Now he went five for 10 in just 23 minutes of action last game. And he's shooting 39% from three against Denver this season. 
Their starters for the Warriors are only averaging 27 minutes per game. That's how good they are, and they're still blowing this team out. But I do think that considering the line is shortened today, we might see this kind of be a little bit more of a battle back and forth, and Curry could play some more minutes. Over three and a half made threes for him. Also looking at Carl Anthony Towns, over 10 and a half boards. I expect him to just have a bigger game. Minnesota was out-rebounded 14-4 to in offensive rebounds in that second game. He'll have to step up, and he's hit over this number in both games so far. Also, John Morant, over 44 and a half points, rebounds, and a six. He's hit over this uh, once in six meetings. So you'd think that this line is just way too high, but I think we're going to see, you know, the unleashed type of John Morant in this game. So I do like 44, over 44 and a half par. And then uh, my John play, which is something that the producer has been wanting me to give out because I'm from Philly, is Rudy <laughs> Gobert over 15 and a half rebounds. So he finished with 17 in both games, that game one and game two. And there's just quite literally no one there to stop Rudy Gobert. He's just going to keep grabbing those boards. It seems like a really high player prop, but it really isn't for a player like him, which is absolutely nobody defending him. You couldn't see it, Aaron, but before Harry jumps in here, you couldn't see it, Aaron, but our producer, Shannon Penn, just gave you a standing (laughs) ovation. So you made his day with your John pick. Good. Love it. Love it. Hopefully it catches. Any series prices that caught your attention? Any one of them, Jones? Yeah, any one of those, Jones. Oh, my goodness, man. We should go to Wawa and get a hoagie after this. (laughs) Um, Yes, like I mentioned kind of already, the Dallas Mavericks seem like a good one. But there's so many other markets just in terms of series you can bet into. So, like, just straight-up series betting. You can do the series spread. You can do correct score. How many games is it going to go? There's so much plus money in how many games you're going to see a series go. The one that I love is actually the Sixers-Raptors to go game seven. But, I mean, the Sixers are up three games at this point. So, that's kind of trash now. But they're still – you can bet into these markets. Very bettable. It's just some of those – you know, outright who's going to win. Some of them are just way too long at this point, but you can definitely still find stuff that's good for the futures market in the NBA playoffs right now. Aaron Dolan, ESPN Sports betting analyst. You can follow her at Aaron Kate Dolan on Twitter. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Good luck tonight. So tonight, again, Grizzlies, Timberwolves, 7.30 p.m. tip-off coverage on most ESPN radio stations of that game will begin right after Harry and I get off air at 7 p.m. Eastern. Mavs, Jazz will tip off at 9 p.m. Eastern. And then Warriors, Nuggets, Harry, at 10 p.m. Eastern. And we didn't get much of an opportunity to touch on that game. So I wanted to ask you real quick, I mean, is there any chance here that the Nuggets can actually make it a series? And how have you felt about Jokic so far in the playoffs? Ooh, not a chance in hell but just because the, the the Golden State Warriors they come at you in waves right you, you look at the second quarters you look at the third quarters and then when they go to that that small ball lineup they hit you in waves right and if you're not locked in mentally if you're not queuing in 100% then that's when those things get the best of your team you see Jokic their leader being upset you see it trickle down to the bench and guys over there during a the timeout arguing with one another and, and and lord knows what else and things like that just can't happen especially not at this time of the year everyone needs to be together but for the uh, I think for Jokic I just need him him to come out and be the guy that he's supposed to be don't let the if they don't the refs don't call fouls don't let it get the best of you just play the game and do everything that you can uh to help your team win now don't get me wrong I think he's uh overmatched with this Warriors basketball team because he is going against three future Hall of Famers as well and then he's just over there by himself with the B team so Mm -hmm. just play your game and do what you can do
Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the long of the short of it. Jokic just doesn't have enough around him, and he's missing two key pieces on that team that he's been missing all season long. He was able to cover it up during the regular season, but this is big boy basketball, right? This is playoff right. basketball, and it is a different ball game with a now healthier, war- healthy Warriors team, which we haven't seen them healthy the entire second half of the season, and they're deadly when they're healthy, and we know that about this Warriors team. So Jokic is outmatched. It doesn't help that Jokic is allowing them to get to him as well, get to them, get to him emotionally but I think it's just the weight of that series that he's carrying and you've seen the frustration from him too much is on his shoulders even for a back-to-back MVP because he can't do it all he's not an elite defender anyways and he can't do it all in terms of his offensive production even though he's been the best and he's been the best player offensively in the NBA this season I said that the other day on the radio my mentions were lit people get crazy I mean we're talking about the dude who's about to win a back-to-back MVP but he can't outproduce the world I said this season, Harry, everybody calm down. This season, back-to-back okay, MVP. Like, okay. It's not even a controversial thing to say. Back to However, back. he MB. is. You think Joel Embiid's winning that award? We're up against the clock. We don't have time for this conversation, so I win. Coming up next, is this a legacy-altering series for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Well, in fact, that Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas on ESPN Radio. That's how you do it, Harry. Durant, left to right, lost a handle, turnover Brooklyn, six turnovers for Kevin Durant. Your defense, JT, was unbelievable. You made Kevin and Kyrie work so hard. You know, those are two of the best scores in the world. Our goal is just to can't give them no easy looks, make them feel comfortable. This is going to be a long night. Well, there is nothing comfortable about how KD has been feeling out there against the Boston Celtics. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. You can tweet to us at AmberW790 at HDouglas83. So the Nets are down uh, uh, two games to the Boston Celtics coming off of a 114-107 loss last night in game two. And we've talked a lot about this series today, but what we haven't talked about, Harry, is how this impacts the legacies and the conversations surrounding Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Now, both you and I were willing to pass at least some of the blame to Kevin Kevin Durant for the situation that they're in more so than Kyrie coming off of Kyrie's performance in game one. But we know what the legacy is like around Kevin Durant as always considered one of the very best players in the NBA. Some people consider him one of the very best players of all time. And Kyrie's legacy is a complicated one, a complicated one that continues to get more complicated, frankly, as the years roll by in the NBA. So in terms of this series, if they end up getting swept here by the Boston Celtics, does the legacy change for either of these guys? 
Yes, it does. And they don't even have to get swept. They can lose a series four, four games to one in my eyes. When you look at a guy like Kevin Durant, and I think this is the person who will take the hit. Kyrie, um, I don't think this is going to take a hit to his legacy because, like you mentioned in uh, the production meeting, we don't even know what his legacy is. But for a guy like Kevin Durant, who has been the MVP of the National Basketball Association, who was on that Oklahoma City Thunders team, uh, who was up 3-1 and lost to the Warriors, who then joined the Warriors and won two NBA titles and was the finals MVP both of those years, decided to leave Golden State and wanted to do his own thing with Kyrie and Brooklyn. Now, since he's arrived in Brooklyn, things have not panned out the way that he wanted to. You look at the playoffs last year, Kyrie got hurt. So they didn't get to advance like they wanted to, uh, to advance. You, you, you move into this year, Kyrie's not vaccinated. He misses a lot of games. Kevin Durant gets hurt. He misses a lot of games. James Harden, he's bickering. He wants to trade. He gets traded to Philly. So now they're in a play-in situation, and now they're right now in the first round finding themselves against the Boston Celtics, who play tough defense, and they're down 0-2. Now, when it comes to his legacy, I haven't seen Kevin Durant the way I've seen them in the last two games ever since I've watched him play basketball. Like, I, and, I, and I watch a lot of basketball. I've never seen him rattled. I've never seen him let a defense dictate to what he's going to do on the basketball court. Um, I've never seen him not be engaged like he wasn't in game one. I've never seen him go 0 for 10 in the second half. Now, if these, these type of things continue – then his legacy will take a hit because a lot of people are saying that Kevin Durant is the best basketball player on the planet when he's healthy, but the best best basketball player on the planet does not have these type of performances in back-to-back games. You give him the benefit of a doubt if it happens one game, but to follow up in game two and and have the things transpire that it did, but not just uh, missing shots, but turning the basketball over in key moments. He has six turnovers in each game that he's played so far against the Boston Celtics, but not even that. When we see a LeBron James, you play LeBron James a uh, a certain way. He's going to make those adjustments and figure out how can I beat this defense that you have playing. That's one thing I can give LeBron James credit for. Kevin Durant so far in this series, we have not seen those things. He's going out there and in the, in the post game, he continues to say, this is what they're doing. Well, I need you to make the proper adjustments and adjust to what they're doing for this team and your team could be better. You have to understand that. So if he can't do that and they lose this series 4-1 or 4 0 his legacy is going to take a hit. Yeah, especially since Kyrie was telling us that they don't need a coach, right? Or that Steve Nash might coach it sometimes. Maybe some nights it's KD, some nights it's Kyrie. If they feel like they are that caliber of player in the NBA where they don't even need help coming up with adjustments, then they definitely need to be out there making those adjustments as they're seeing the Boston Celtics defensive game plan be so incredibly effective against Kevin Durant and this team. And with KD, I do think that his legacy has more at stake because you are talking about one of the greatest players of this generation and where the expectation is with a player like Kyrie is just so I mean with KD is just so much higher than it is with a player like Kyrie now Kyrie has a difficult legacy already and frankly I don't even really know what Kyrie's legacy is I mean he won a championship with LeBron he's a great player he's wildly talented but where really is his legacy nobody throws him into the conversation of the best players of all time or the best players even of this time I I don't think, but 
He's a very good player in the NBA. He's a top 10 player in the NBA. So we could have that conversation. But if we're talking like legacy, so we're talking beyond just this season, we're talking beyond just this era of basketball. I don't know if Kyrie's legacy has much at stake. And then there's all the complicating factors with the things with Kyrie and when he kind of doesn't seem to feel like playing basketball and all the off the court stuff that has happened with Kyrie. So his legacy is so much more complicated than KD's, frankly, that I think that nothing that happens here in this series affects Kyrie's legacy. With KD, there's a lot more at stake in terms of legacy because KD is in those legacy conversations. Kevin Durant was asked about what comes next in this series. He knows how effective this Boston Celtics D has been against him and against this Nets team. Here's Kevin Durant. I mean, come back and play, you know, just get ready for work tomorrow and just keep grinding. You know, I'm going to turn the ball over. I'm going to shoot the ball a lot in the playoffs. I'm going to play a lot of minutes. You know, I'm going to be expected to, um, you know, be aggressive throughout the rest of the series. So, uh, you know, control some of that stuff and look at film and just keep playing. Harry Douglas, are you fired up? Are you hype? Did Kevin Durant just get you hype? Hell because no. I just about fell asleep listening to that. Sound. Hell no, Amber. And I don't like the fact that he said he's going to turn the ball over. No, we've been seeing you turn the damn basketball over, Kevin Durant. We don't want you turning the basketball over when it means the most. That's what we don't want you to see you doing. So don't say that in that clip that you're going to turn the basketball over. We've already seen you turn it over 12 times in two games. Now, I want to see the killer instinct, Kevin Durant. That's what I want to see. The Kevin Durant uh, MVP mode. The Kevin Durant that i seen against the Warriors when I was at the NBA Finals. And I see him come down on that three-point line with LeBron James standing in front of him and hit that dagger three that sent them boys home. That's the Kevin Durant that I want to see. I don't want to see no Kevin Durant. Oh, you know, uh, go, oh play, go play basketball. You I'm know, I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to be more. aggressive. Because right now, the Boston Celtics are more aggressive than you are. So I need you to go out there and be that one of one, right? That one player that nobody can guard. That one player that everybody can count on night in and night out. That's going to be that sharpshooter. They don't call you the easy money sniper for a reason, but right now, you getting sniped by the Boston Celtics defense. Yeah, he's been getting worked by that defense. Now, given they've been putting two, three defenders on him at all times, they're stalking Kevin Durant, they're following him around, but it's been so effective, and you've got to figure out one way or another when you're one of the greatest players, you've got to figure out how to rise above that, still create your own shots, or you've got to figure out how to get that ball out and get your supporting cast more involved in the game plan. But I do think with KD that he's been very lackluster when we talk about the defensive end. Now, given that expels a ton of energy, energy and so maybe that's part of the problem here because there's so much on the shoulders of KD but also with rebounding he has definitely like when you are the tallest man on that court a lot of the times and you are the best player on that court you need to get more of those boards than you have been getting Stephen A. Smith he also went on get up was concerned about the way that KD's been playing and I'm willing to say this if he continues to play this way the way that he has looked in games one and two of this series I can never talk about him being the best player in the world again. This is some alarming stuff that we are witnessing. We are watching a Boston Celtics team get all up in them. I don't want to hear about the blitzing. I don't want to hear about the double teaming. I don't want to hear about any of this other stuff. So you heard it right there. Stephen A. Smith is not willing to then, moving forward, have that conversation about him being the best player in the world, depending on what happens here in the series. So I would say, based on that Stephen A. clip, that there is more on the line in terms of legacy talk for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Coming up next, we transition to the NFL. Where is Debo Samuel going to end up if it's not San Francisco? That's next. This is ESPN Radio.
Debo Samuel wants to be done with San Francisco. Per our very own Jeff Darlington, he spoke to Debo Samuel and he said that he has passed the 49ers to trade him. We are smelling trouble for the San Francisco <laughs> 49ers because we got the reports that they were willing to pay him and maybe Debo was like, nah, I'm good. Debo Samuel wants out of San Francisco, or does he? This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. To talk all things NFL and Debo Samuel, we bring in Lewis Riddick, ESPN NFL analyst on the Canty Call-In line. And, Lewis, let's start with this Debo Samuel situation because we got the reports that he wants out of San Francisco. He told Jeff Darlington directly that he wants to be traded from the 49ers. Do you believe that he's really done in San Francisco, or do you think that this is a negotiation tactic? I'm going to take Debo at his word because, you know, whenever you speculate as to what exactly is going on, I think as as we've seen, you know, players in front offices are not shy about calling you out on it and saying, well, you don't really know what's going on, so don't speak on what you don't know. So I'm going to take Debo at his word. If he told Jeff Darlington he – as San Francisco to be traded, then he has his reasons as to why. And I think those are all personal to him, to the 49ers, and to whoever the people are that are closest to him. But having talked to Debo before, uh, face-to-face, he's not the kind of young man who really minces his words and someone who tries to uh, you know, send hidden or cryptic-type messages. He has his reasons. It's unfortunate because we all love to watch him play, but the NFL is a big businessman, and, um, you know, players have their reasons for doing things. This just adds to what has already been a pretty damn wild offseason when it comes to player movement in the NFL, that's for sure. Lewis, I, I want to get your take on this because you have been in the front office before, previously, before being at ESPN. When you see a guy like Debo Samuel, uh, A.J. Brown, you see a guy like a D.K. Metcalf, a Terry McLaurin, when you see all of these guys and what they've meant to their organizations and how they have mm-hmm. outplayed the contracts that they are on, what is something um, that alarms you? Or what is something that you would say to the people from a front office perspective on why they haven't got these deals done and uh, sign these guys to longer deals? Well, I think all, all of these guys are up for long-term deals and that it, they're in that, you know, they're, they're in or approaching that time frame now where it's time for them to get paid. And so I, I don't think that we are, you know, we've reached the point where, you know, these guys are, or rather the teams that these guys are playing for have said, you know, we're not going to pay you or we don't like you or we don't want to invest in you long term. I just think that now there's so much attention on this position in particular, because that being wide receiver, because of the way that guaranteed money and average uh, average for years have just absolutely exploded and what people have given up in order to acquire veteran players that many people thought would never move from their from their um, from their previous teams, that being Devontae and Tyreek. So I think there's just a lot of attention on this situation right now. I think, look, A.J. Brown, John Robinson, the general manager down in Tennessee, said he has no intentions of trading him. I mean, why would they? They drafted him in the second round. They're the ones who developed him. They're the ones who helped make him become who he is right now. For Washington to even consider, even for a second, that Terry McLaurin would be somebody who they should move on from considering what 
you know, again, they drafted him, they developed him, they've supported him up to this point. Guys who've earned their money like that, Harry, they need to be paid. They need to be taken care of. DK Metcalf, when his time's up, he needs to be paid. He needs to be taken care of. These guys, Debo Samuel, needs to be paid and taken care of by the teams that draft him. Look, I understand it's a business sometimes, and maybe you have mismanaged your cap and or your cash flow to the point where somehow, some way, it's just not going to be good for you to go ahead and sign these guys to second contracts that are that are very, very big in terms of guaranteed dollars and a lot of cash flow coming out of your organization and into these players' pockets, especially early on in the contract and these contracts being front-loaded like players want them to. But you should be making every possible attempt to make sure that you aren't drafting players and then developing them for them to go on to somewhere else and have them reap the benefits of the work that you did initially. That is not the way to do business. That's not the way I would want to do business, and that's really not the way that these guys should be treated. So, I, I look, I, I get it that we like the movement, we like the excitement, we like the action, and we like the, you know, the stories behind these guys wanting to get paid. Look, for me, as someone who has been on the other side from a, from a team builder perspective, I would not like to see guys like this being unhappy and being disgruntled because they feel as though we don't want to take care of, of those guys who were homegrown and who performed for us. The NFL is supposed to work like you draft them, you develop them. Yeah, they're going to outperform their contracts, hopefully. That's why you're supposed to make uh, plans as far as your salary cap is concerned two, three, four years down the road, always, always projecting out two, three, four years down the road and making plans for guys like this, getting the money that they have earned and that they deserve so you can continue to keep the nucleus together and hopefully sustain a high level of success from a team perspective with guys like this. That's how it's supposed to work. They aren't supposed to be walking out the door. They are not supposed to be walking out the door. It seems like Debo Samuel might be walking out the door in San Francisco, but he will get paid wherever he goes. He's such a versatile player. I could talk about this Debo situation all day, Lewis. Lewis Riddick, ESPN NFL analyst on with us. But I wanted instead to ask you about draft prep because Harry just mentioned it there. You spend time in a front office. What is happening inside a front office a week out from the NFL draft? Like, are we at the point everybody has their big board and you definitely know who you're drafting already or, you know, who you are hoping to draft anyways? Yeah, I think overall, from a global perspective, you generally have your board whittled down to the players that you feel as though are perfect for your organization. And then um, from a bigger picture perspective, you have the board that is set for the league, meaning whereas where you think that from a league-wide perspective, these guys are going to represent fair value. So you, then you can kind of figure what prices you need to pay for the guys who, in particular that you want. There may be certain stacks within certain positions right now that you're still trying to figure out along with your top lieutenants, your directors of player personnel, college directors, pro directors. You know, there may be some, some areas where you have guys in the third round and you may have a group of wide receivers, four or five guys, that you really haven't quite decided how you're going to stack them on your board, so you may be working through those kind of things. But by and large, I think you know the players that you want to target right now. You're just trying to figure out where is it going to be that we have to go in order to get these guys. Make sure that you're in those positions. You're in position to go ahead and draft those individuals. So you're, you know, you're wargaming for the next seven to ten days. You're trying to figure out how is this draft going to play itself out, particularly in the first round where the stakes are the highest. So we are in position to get the person that we want. And that's what's – that's what's so fun about it, but at the same time, 
this is when things start to get a little bit tight. You start want, start wanting to safeguard the information, how you're really feeling about these guys, how you really have your top 50, top 100 guys stacked. You start to tighten that circle, man, because it isn't like college, right? You don't have four or five cracks at four and five stars. You have one chance in the first round if you're lucky, maybe multiple chances if your team's like Green Bay, the Jets, the Giants, the Packers. But you just got to safeguard that information and, and play your cards close to the vest because it's almost go time. It is almost go time. This is the time of year that those front offices earn their money. Lewis Riddick, ESPN NFL analyst. Thanks so much for joining us, Lewis. Absolutely. Thank you. The NFL draft begins exactly one week from today, Thursday, April 28th. We will have all sorts of coverage across every platform at ESPN, including featuring Harry Douglas. So definitely check out all of that coverage from my co-host as the NFL draft kicks off in Las Vegas. Coming up next, how much pressure is on Tua Tungavaloa this season for the Miami Dolphins? That's next. This is ESPN Radio. All signs Harry Douglas point to there being a lot of pressure on Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa this season. We know about all the moves that the Dolphins have made this offseason, bringing in Mike McDaniel, who is considered by many to be an offensive genius. They traded for Tyreek Hill. They got in Teron Armstead, Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds, Connor Williams, Sed Wilson. I mean, I can go on and on. This is a much improved Miami Dolphins team. This is a quarterback that has had a lot of questions, but also a lot of room for excuses over the last couple seasons this is his third year he says that despite all of those changes he doesn't feel any more pressure in his third year do you believe him oh no not at all because he hasn't performed to the level that a lot of people uh, would have thought he would have you look at guys like Justin Herbert who was drafted with him who has outperformed his rookie deal already and he's only played two years a guy who um I would say he missed the playoffs last year if it wasn't for, for his head coach, Brandon Staley, making some questionable calls. They would have made the playoffs. But when it comes to Tua, I think there's pressure on him in different areas, right? Pressure on him to deliver the football to a Jalen Waddle, to a Tyreek Hill, so they can just run with the ball and have yak yards and yards after the catch. Now, to his advantage, those are some of the things that he did in college when he was at Alabama with the Henry Ruggs, with the Jerry Judy, with a Waddle, with a Devontae Smith. So uh, check that box there. That's a positive. That's one thing that he's accustomed to doing and has done in his past. Another thing he's going to have to be able to do, you see a Tyreek Hill. A Tyreek Hill is a guy who's going to get down the football field. Everything just can't be RPOs because now the defense can key on your RPOs and figure out how to stop it. So things he's going to have to be able to be consistent throwing the football downfield. I think plus 30 throws, I think he only had two 
uh, uh, overall last year. That's not going to cut it in the National Football League. Another thing I think Tua has pressure on him to do is throwing the ball with anticipation, right? Throwing the, throwing the football with guys anticipating where they're going to be versus seeing them open. That's one of the issues that a lot of young quarterbacks have when they come into the league. Um, so for Tua, I think – what Mike McDaniel has done with this offense is, is built it around him to have success, right? You went out and you got offensive linemen, you got running backs, you got the receivers. Now he just has to go out and be able to plug in um, and, and, and put things in store and not be the reason why the Miami Dolphins don't have success. I think that's what the pressure is on Tua. That's the kind of pressure he has. Tua has had pressure his entire NFL career. He had pressure his rookie year with Ryan Fitzpatrick staring over his shoulder. He had his he had pressure his sophomore year, so to speak, with the Deshaun Watson rumors there in Miami. And he has pressure now with this new offense, with all the weapons around him, with the protection as well, with the help in the backfield. He has had pressure for all three seasons now that he will be embarking on here in the NFL. He says all of the right things. Maybe he doesn't feel more pressure because he's already had so much pressure. But either way, there is definitely pressure on Tua Tunkavaloa. Debo Samuel wants to be done with San Francisco. Per our very own Jeff Darlington, he spoke to Debo Samuel and he said that he has asked the 49ers to trade him. We are smelling trouble for the San Francisco <laughs> 49ers because we got the reports that they were willing to pay him and maybe Debo was like, nah, I'm good. There does appear to be some trouble in San Francisco. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save. 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and at Progressive.com. So we just had on Lewis Riddick earlier in the show. If you missed any of the show, you can always check out the podcast wherever podcasts are available and on the ESPN app. But we had on Lewis Riddick. We asked him about this situation in San Francisco with Debo Samuel. He said, Harry, that he's going to take Debo at his word, that this is not just a negotiation tactic, that Debo legitimately wants out of that San Francisco 49ers organization for whatever his reasons are. And so that begs the question, where's Debo going to end up? And so let's talk about it. Obviously, an incredibly versatile receiver, a receiver that can play running back as well. So he's going to have a huge market for him around the NFL. There are some notable teams that have capital to go get him. Let me run through some of these destinations with you and see your thoughts on them. Now, a lot of people are talking about the Jets. They have a first-round pick. They have about $16 million in cap space. That's the team that I keep hearing most uh, when I hear about this Debo Samuel conversation. They did not pony up when it came to Tyreek Hill at the end of the day. They lost out on the Tyreek Hill battle, but they were in on those conversations, so obviously they were eyeing, targeting a veteran receiver. Yeah, when you look at the New York Jets, you look at their roster right now. They have Corey Davis, um, they have Elijah Moore, and then they have Braxton Barrels. When you look at this team, they didn't have a receiver this year over that had over 600 yards receiving. That is not good whatsoever. Now you have a young quarterback. One of the best things that you could do for a young quarterback, just ask the Buffalo Bills. Is give him a guy that he can count on week in and week out, game in and game out. That For the Buffalo Bills, that was Stephon Diggs. If they're able to get a guy like Debo Samuel, he's another guy that could take some pressure off Zach Wilson. You can use him in a multiplicity and a magnitude of different ways. You can use him as a returner to, to put the icing on top. You have a guy on Mike LaFleur, the, brother of, um, the little brother of Matt LaFleur, the head coach for the Green Bay Packers. He used to be in San Francisco 
Francisco. He used to be a wide receiver coach. He used to be a passing game coordinator, along with uh, the defensive coordinator, now the head coach for the Jets, Robert Sala, who was at the San Francisco 49ers as well. So if there's anybody who knows Debo inside and out, it's going to be those two guys. So the Jets is definitely a destination I have them going to. One of them. One of the destinations that he could possibly end up at. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers. I mentioned the Packers when I initially heard this story break because I thought, man, the Packers could really use a weapon there to try to plug that hole that Devontae Adams left in this offense. And Debo Samuel would go a long way to do that. They have first-round picks. They have $15 million in cap space. They should be able to get it done. They have those picks largely because of Devontae Adams in terms of some of the hardware they got in return for him. I guess the problem with Green Bay is maybe that you don't want to trade him inside the conference, but at the same time, you probably just want the best deal you can get for him if you're the 49ers. I don't know how much they're concerned about that. Yeah, and you look to the ties again. You look at Matt LaFleur and you look at Kyle Shanahan. Those guys have been, uh, been together for a long time. Uh, those guys hang out together when they have time to hang out together. Now, I want to talk to a lot of people who are listening right now about the type of receiver that's demanded for that offense. You've seen a guy like Devontae Adams, their bigger receiver, a guy who's strong, can go over the middle, can take punishment. You look at the Rams, you look at Cooper Cup, you look at the Falcons. um, They're actually missing a guy from from that type of offense, so they're looking for a guy as well. You look at A.J. Brown with the Tennessee Titans, the same type of offense. The offense requires a guy who is strong, can catch the ball over the middle, who's tough, and who doesn't mind contact. So when I look at the Green Bay Packers, you lose a Devontae Adams, what's what's a great way to try to replace him? Not saying that he's going to have the production that Devontae Adams had, but he's a strong, built-bodied guy who can do a multiplicity of different things as well. Not to mention, years back, um, not when Matt LaFleur was the quarterback, uh, was the uh, offensive coordinator or head coach there in Green Bay. You look at a guy like Randall Cobb when he was with Mike McCarthy and how they used to use him in the backfield and returns as well. They missed that in Green Bay. So Debo is another guy that can do those things as well. He definitely can do those things. He would be a huge help to that offense that I think if they don't get Debo Samuel, will be looking to address that wide receiver position in the draft. But Debo certainly a proven commodity in the NFL. That might be something that appeals to Aaron Rodgers. The Kansas City Chiefs, they're a team that also got some hardware in return for Tyreek Hill. So they have first round picks here that they could trade Harry and they have $17 million in cap space. And they did try to plug that hole that Tyreek Hill left with Valdez Scantling, but you can't exactly plug that hole. Would Debo Samuel help them out? Well, it doesn't make sense to me because if you didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill the money that you wanted to give him, why would you turn around and give Debo Samuel the the money that you probably could have gave Tyreek Hill? Right. And it, that's mind-boggling to me because Tyreek Hill was a guy who's been in your system from day one, and he knows things inside out, and you don't have to coach him up. You don't have to get him up to speed on things. Uh, you don't have to build a rapport with the Patrick Mahomes. All these things Debo Samuel will have to do if he went to the Kansas City Chiefs, so I don't see them as an option. Okay, so they're not an option. I agree with you there. Let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. Uh, First-round picks, $19 in cap space. I don't know about their quarterback situation. Could Debo help out? I don't actually see him going to New Orleans either. I I just don't because Jameis Winston is the type of quarterback that want to push the football down the field. Uh, Debo Samuel, he can go deep and, and, and catch the football down the football field, but he's a more so intermediate, make the tough catches over the middle, give me the screen passes, I take it the distance. Now, I will go into that same conference, and I will say the Atlanta Falcons because they're looking for a guy like that. Now, they don't have the cap space to be able to sign Debo to a long deal until 2023, 
but it's also a, it's it's you look at the relationship and you look at the offense. It's the same kind of offensive system um, uh, with their head coach and what he wants to do, Arthur Smith. So don't sleep on uh, the Atlanta Falcons, and it's close to South Carolina. I've seen Debo here. I've been around him a lot in the city of Atlanta, so I know that's a place that he probably wouldn't mind coming as well. A little insider nugget there from Harry Douglas from the Atlanta front. Can I interest you in the Cowboys at all, Harry Douglas? They've got a first rounder, 15 million in cap space. They let Amari Cooper walk, but maybe Mm -hmm. they'd want Debo. I can actually see this happening because like I just mentioned, Mike McCarthy, when he drafted a Randall Cobb, he used Randall Cobb a lot of the ways that San Francisco used um, Debo Samuel. He had him in the backfield. We've seen him that, I think it was the first game of the year against the New Orleans Saints. He did it on returns. But I can see Mike McCarthy using that. Plus, you need somebody else to go with C.D. Lamb until so Michael Gallup possible- gets, gets over his injury. Yeah, lots of possible destinations here for Debo Samuel. Also, the Dallas Mavericks have a destination. They're trying to get out of the first round of the playoffs. Luka will not be available to them, it seems like, in Game 3. Even though he's practicing, he's feeling good. Maybe they're being a little bit conservative with him. We'll discuss that next. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas.